I say nonsense. Give me that deal. I'm going to turn it upside down, turn it backwards, cut it in half, look at it sideways, and always ask the question, how can I make this deal work? And try to come up with 10 different solutions. Seven of them might completely stink. Three of them might be viable, and one of them will be the one that works. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Gary Wilson. At age 40, Gary retired as corporate vice president, mergers and acquisitions in national banking. His history since has been in guiding individuals to wealth and income in real estate. In the first six months after earning his real estate license, Gary created six-figure income working with investors. He has since completed over 100 transactions per year, consistently every year without a sales team or assistant and with virtually no marketing costs. Gary has traded over 3,000 investment properties in less than five years and developed five real estate holding companies owning more than 250 rental units. Gary has made himself a multimillionaire by building a real estate enterprise, including brokerage, rental management, investment services, settlement services, and appraisal services. Listen, Gary's an award-winning real estate guy. He has five books out. He's been on CBS, Fox, NBC, ABC, Business Book, iTunes. His full bio is going to be in the show notes. But I'm super excited to have Gary on the show. Gary, welcome. Thanks, Corey. It's good to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak and help some of you guys out. So, Gary, you know, before you became a deal maker and real estate maven and everything that you've done, I'm going to take you back. When you were a little kid growing up, what did you want to be? Because my, my guess is it might not have been a real estate investor, but tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, when I was a kid, I, you know, I was one of those lucky guys that got to see the first landing on the move, on the, on the moon, excuse me, back in uh, July 20th, 1969. And uh, so ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Soon after that, I started, I had a fascination with houses and I would draw pictures of houses. And my grandfather, who was a professor down in uh, Dahlonega, Georgia, taught you know, architecture, engineering, mathematics, gave me all the implements to, to like a drawing board to actually draw floor plans and taught me how to draw architectural floor plans when I was eight years old. So I've been, been designing houses ever since I was eight. And then and back to the moon landing, I was blessed enough to be able to intern at NASA Langley Air Force Base in uh, my senior year of college. And I got to be on a, we worked on the space shuttle heat shields and I got to go on two space shuttles, not, not up in the air. They don't, they don't let the poor dumb country boys fly space shuttles, <laughs> but, <laughs> but nonetheless, I got to go on two space shuttles. And so that was really a combination. I just always wanted to fly and I just loved houses. That was really my, my, my two main interests growing up, you know? I love it. So, uh, and, and I know, you know, in your bio, we talked about uh, the executive positions you have and then how you move into real estate, but what would you consider your first real business, however you define that, even if it was as a kid or something, what was your first real business? Oh my gosh, I had a, I had a paper route 
when I was uh, was nine years old, had that for a couple of years. And this was back when you actually had to go around and collect the money from the people, you know. So I got used to, you know, delivering service and then getting paid from good service. That was my first go around. And then when I was 12, I went to work for a local florist company delivering flowers. I'd go around with this old guy in a van. He would drive and I'd run from door to door and, and uh, collect tips. So early in life, I was, uh, I mean, I, I had, I literally had amassed hundreds of dollars by the time I was like 10 years old and thousands by the time I was a, you know, young teenager. Um, so those two experiences really taught me a lot about, you really got to wake up and show up to get paid. You know, that was probably the, the main, that's what positioned me to do well as an adult was those first two experiences, you know? Uh, I, I love that. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about what, what you do as an adult, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, in, in the bio, we talked about all of these, you know, uh, real estate deals you do. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've got to know each other recently and it's been great to get to know you. And, uh, and you know, I, I guess I would say to you, um, clearly you're a deal maker. And talk about some of the types of deals that you do, what you do, and also, I guess my question for you is what, what makes a deal maker? Like what's the difference between the people who do deals and the people who don't do deals in your mind? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, excellent question. My, my very first real estate deal was within a month of graduating from college. My college roommate, his name was Socrates. His, his parents were Greek. His dad was a Greek immigrant. His mother was first generation. And um, in any case, uh, he was Socrates' dad was a big investor in Richmond, Virginia. And we were going to school at Old Dominion University in Tidewater, Virginia, down by the water. And when we graduated, his dad said, you boys aren't going to rent anymore. You're going to you're going to be owners. And if you do everything I tell you to do, you won't have to work for anybody else when you're 35 years old. So so he helped us get this first deal. It was a four bedroom, two bathroom home in Virginia Beach. And uh, we the, the guy that owned it was in, in the Navy. We assumed his VA mortgage. And this is stuff you can still do today, by the way. People say you can't assume anymore. I have to say, nope, it's nonsense. You can still assume VA mortgages and many adjustable rate mortgages are also still assumable. So in any case, we assumed his first mortgage. He had a second mortgage. We got our own second mortgage to refinance his second mortgage. And then for the remainder of the equity, we gave him a, a note for the third, a third note for his portion of the equity. And, um, you know, he gave us the mortgage, we gave him the note. So it was a very creative deal. And this was back in the mid 80s when interest rates were still extremely high. And it was right before, literally, the um, Tax Reform Act of 1986. So my first deal was anything but conventional. It was absolutely creative, structured. Uh, we had guidance. And we it was a four-bedroom home, so we rented out the other two bedrooms to two other renters. And their combined rents paid all of our bills except for $50 each. So Socrates and I got to live essentially for 50 bucks a month. And we're out of college, our first jobs, you know, we're, we're like living the, the young bachelor life, buying boats and all kinds of crazy stuff. We just had a blast. But, but that first deal, man, I'll never forget this, Corey. You know, after we, the closing, we went down to one of his father's uh, places at the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Uh, he had a beach house down there. He had several of them, actually. And he's on the deck pounding his chest saying, you, you Americans, pointing at me, you Americans have no idea how easy you've got it here. He said, you can't do this in Greece, you know, and uh, it really stuck with me. Um, so ever since then, and I, I would watch what we were doing, Americans, and he's right. We're, I mean, we're, we're waking up in the morning, doing the, the conforming thing and watching TV at night. And I just didn't want to do that. And I, from that point on, 
Um, I educated myself, trained myself, got coaches, got mentors. Um, but later on, if I don't know if you probably remember a guy named Carlton Sheets. He's actually still alive, and he was teaching all the no money down stuff. Sure. So here's what I want to get to. I, I can tell everybody here listening from experience, all that stuff does work. I did it all. I've done it all. The thing is, is people misunderstand. They think, well, no money down is always what you do. That's not true. It has its place, but it's not every place. So there's different strategies that work very well when you're first beginning a portfolio. When you're first getting started, if you don't have any money, you don't have any credit, there's certainly strategies you can use. But other strategies are better deployed later on after you have assets and after you have cash. In fact, I'll freak people out here and I'll just tell you, I got to a point where I was on a cash basis and I love paying cash for properties, you know, because I got better deals, but it didn't mean I stayed in that position. What I did is I would, I would acquire the asset. And then once I improve the asset, you would refinance physically and, and, and financially, then I would go refinance, get a brand new first mortgage on it. Later on, I would borrow strategically against the asset. After all, that's what I want people to get to. In the beginning, you borrow out of need. You got to borrow to get the property, and I get it. I did the same thing. But get yourself on a cash basis. Be disciplined. Be focused. Be persistent. Be persistent. And I rolled every dime back into it so I could be on a cash basis because then it put me in control. And then when I borrowed, I wasn't borrowing out of need. I was borrowing strategically to grow the portfolio. I, I just kind of summed it up in a five minute thing there, but there's more to it than that. Corey. I just want to paint a picture of everybody so you understand there's all kinds of ways to buy real estate and you want to deploy the right strategy at the right time with the right deal. If you use cash, sometimes that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love the sort of the overview. So, you know, because I, I just want to take a step back here for the people who uh, are listening for our podcast listeners here and just, you know, break some things down. Right. So, Yep. You know, it sounds like, all right, so, you know, this first deal you do in college is a no money down deal, right? Because you assumed the mortgage, you uh, refinanced the mortgage, and then you had a, a seller's note um, for the for the third piece of it. So, um, you know, so that's one structure. And, and, and then on top of that, you got uh, a property that was, you know, practically income producing. I mean, if you, if you, ca- if, frankly, if you didn't live there and you rented out that, you know, that, that, that piece that you had, it would have been income producing, right? So you got to a, yep. a position where basically you were living practically rent free, which is phenomenal. Um, but I love the distinction you make because I do think people, listen, I, I, I do all kinds of deals. And what drives me crazy is when, whether it's a corporate deal, whether it's a real estate deal, whatever type of deal it is, uh, there are people in every industry, whether they're attorneys, whether they're real estate people, whatever, who try to shove everything into a particular deal structure because that's what they know and that's what's worked for them a couple of times. Yep. And, 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 and you and I are so aligned that you got to be more creative than that because, you know, different types of deals uh, – uh, you know, uh, require different types of structures. So you've talked about no money down deals. You talked about finance deals. Then you talked about all cash deals, um, which is and which is crucial. I mean, it's one of the reasons why many years ago I raised the fund because there were deals that I knew if I had capital and can act in cash very quickly that I could get, whereas I would miss out with you know on them for you know for other reasons. So talk a little bit about. Um, the mentality that it takes because, you know, to have that creativity and also to be willing to take that risk takes a certain deal maker mentality that not everybody has. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you think that is and what makes the difference between people who are willing to do deals and and those who aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a couple of characteristics. What I've, what I've discovered is um, 
you know, I, I did spend a lot of years in a corporate world, but, but Corey, the more, the longer I was in a corporate world, the less happier I became, the more I got promoted, the more miserable I became. And the reason is, is I always had this entrepreneurial gene flowing through my veins and they don't, in the corporate world, there's no way to uh, nourish that, you know, nurture, nurture that. So when I got out, I started attracting other business people, business owners, um, professionals in their fields who may be on their own practice, uh, just basically entrepreneurial people. And one of the, a couple of things I found in common is, number one, when we have this, this innate, you know, unquenchable thirst for being free. We want, we want freedom. We want independence. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get political here, but, but, but quite frankly, you know, my idea is the smaller the government, the better, because entrepreneurs are what makes it happen. If you look at during the Great Recession, there was a net loss of jobs in the corporate world to the to the tune of about you know minus two thousand I think it was. Um, there was a net gain of small business jobs being created by guys like us. Eight thousand. It was a fourfold. It was just an amazing, amazing difference there. So, but we we also had this internal drive. We had to to, to succeed, to excel, to keep going, to keep trying, and in spite of an occasional setback or failure. We don't, entrepreneurs don't let, we don't let setbacks knock us out of the race. And we got knocked off the horse, we get back on the horse and get back in the race. So it's persistence, consistence, drive, determination, this, this, uh, um, this creative flair. So when we, we come across a situation, we don't look at it linearly. We look at it exponentially. So, so if I look at a situation and 10 people might say that won't work, it's only because of looking at it two-dimensionally. It's yes or no or black or white. It's going to work or not work. I say nonsense. Give me that deal. I'm going to turn it upside down, turn it backwards, cut it in half, look at it sideways, and always ask the question, how can I make this deal work? And try to come up with 10 different solutions. Seven of them might completely stink. Three of them might be viable, and one of them will be the one that works. And I'll go after deals that other people won't because they're just not looking at it through you know, multi-dimensional lenses. They're looking at it two-dimensionally and they miss most of the deals that are out there. So, so that, that ability to look at things creatively and a desire to want to make things work, that, that's really critical for, for deal making. I, I, that's, just, that's just me, but that's what I've discovered, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. And so, so let's talk a little bit. I and mean, we definitely have some uh, uh, Fueling Deals podcast listeners who are real estate investors, whether it's professionally or, you know, on the side. Uh, I know we got uh, back in episode four, we had Joel Block on who runs real estate hedge funds and trains people in that. And that episode got great, you know, uh, traction. Uh, but also, we have a lot of our listeners who are who are entrepreneurs, and they're entrepreneurs in non-real estate businesses, right? They run uh, financial services firms, they run tech companies, they run businesses in all different industries. Talk to us about why people like that should also be looking at real estate, whether it's diversification, whether it's owning properties for their own businesses. You know, what are the opportunities for people who aren't going to spend 100% of their time on real estate investing? Uh, to uh, you know, to get involved with with some of the things you do. Yeah, boy, that's an excellent question. This this is really where I spend my time, energy, and and working with others is the the skills, the 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 mental skills and talents and aptitudes of run, being an entrepreneur or running a business are the same exact skills, aptitudes, and talents that are used to invest in real estate. Because investing in real estate is itself a business, and the people that that 
investor real estate like it is a business because it is a business always succeed so business owners entrepreneurs always do well with investing in real estate now in a, in a practical matter here's what this really looks like so let's say you've got a a, a north adonist who owns her own uh, dental practice okay um chances are she may be starting off renting the first thing she ought to do is within the first two or three years once she gets uh, her business established is look to buy a building that she can practice out of and rent out the additional spaces to other related businesses okay Maybe she can rent another space to a, a family dentist who, who works with little children and then they eventually become clients for her, the orthodontist. And maybe there's a pharmacist there, maybe, you know, whatever, just related businesses. But the point is now she owns the building, which is separate from her business. The building ownership is separate ownership than the business ownership, two different legal entities. Okay. And what that'll do is get her brain spinning and wheeling and thinking, my gosh, I'm actually making money on this building and I can do this on the side. So that'll lead her to, to, to buy other properties. But well, here's what I recommend. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but you can actually uh, set up a separate LLC to own properties and your business. It should be a separate company and, and most service industries and service businesses. That should be like an escort. I'm not an attorney or an accountant. I'm just saying if you have a service business, in most cases, the S-Corp is the ideal thing. But what you can do is the S-Corp can make a loan to the LLC that's going to buy the income-producing rental property, okay? That could be used as a down payment or buy the whole thing, whatever. But it, but the point is, is now she's leveraging her business to feed her real estate investment. And that real estate investment down the road, if she keeps growing it, eventually gives her the capital, the foundation upon which she can launch other businesses. She can launch other dental practices in, in, in towns nearby or expand her own business. So, so the two, think of a, a cycle of abundance. You know, the business feeds the real estate, the real estate feeds the business and, you know, it puts her in control. Um, I've, I've, when I see people do that, there's a dentist named Stephen Hatcher in North Carolina. Uh, perfect example. The guy's got, he's got millions of dollars in real estate, takes trips all over the world. He's got a thriving practice. He's great at marketing. He's an entrepreneurial to the core. And he discovered this years ago, like I did. I love giving him as an example to people. You can look him up. And um, I, I told him he should write a book, quite frankly. But but that with that question you'd asked me there, uh, Corey, what I just gave you that answer for, that's probably one of the most simplest, practical things that business owners can do to not just give themselves passive income for later in life, but give them capital and asset they can borrow against to keep leveraging their practice is leveraged to feed the real estate. The real estate is leveraged to feed the practice. It's an amazing combination. It uses the same exact skills and talents and aptitudes. That's great. So, so listen, we all know that, that anytime, whether it's expanding your business into a, into a new uh, market or area, or it's, you know, in this case, investing in real estate to create that, you know, that, that, that cycle of abundance, which I love that term. Um, what, what does a business owner have to put in place? What kind of resources do they need, whether it's internal or external? Because obviously we all know if you're going to run a successful business of any type, real estate, corporate, whatever it is, you know, you need resources, you need a team, you need uh, in people internally, externally, whatever it is. So, so what does somebody need to do if they want to start getting into uh, investing in real estate and they're a business owner? Yep. Well, there's a couple of things. You definitely want to have a good uh, tax accountant somebody who's preparing your taxes. I always use people 
who, when I use a tax accountant, I, the guy I've been using for over 20 years now, he obviously owns his own practice, but he's also owned real estate. And I, I knew that he had served other investors, but I, I asked him, I said, well, what do, where do you keep your money? And he said, well, I have some real estate too. I knew who was my guy because I knew he knew what I was doing. So that's, that's paramount. Um, also, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's some obvious things. It's great if you know some people in the construction business remodeling business. Um, you definitely want to have a good insurance, uh, you know, uh, homeowner's insurance broker. They can find you the best coverage or the best deals. Um, and one of the, one of the, and there's others I'm probably, you know, it, it's good to have an attorney that you know and trust, obviously. Um, but I will tell you, one of the key team players is what I call an investor agent. So, you know, I've been in investing for over 33 years. I've actually been a broker for 17 years in a building my own brokerage company on this investor agent relationship I, during the recession it was the fastest growing brokerage company in pennsylvania we grew sixfold during the first three years of the big recession when other brokerages were losing half their business we literally doubled three times we grew sixfold wow and the, that person corey that investor agent when you find we've we've i've trained them i've got i've trained over three thousand of them over the u.s and canada and you can look, these guys can locate them. I'll give them an, an idea how they can look them later on. But you get one of those guys on your team. Now you're going under the radar screen to find those. You're not just using the listing services. Every agent has that crap. We, we go under the radar screen. We find, we get deals that just not published. That's the critic. That's one of the most critical pieces, Corey, you know? Absolutely. And listen, every uh, investor that I know, clients of mine who invest in real estate, uh, even the ones who do big commercial stuff, you know, the only thing they talk about is, quote unquote, off market deals, right? Because, you know, uh, deals that are that are listed, everybody has access to and there's more competition and the prices are generally higher and whatever. And you can be less creative. So, you know, this concept of, uh, you know, what they call off market deals is uh, is crucial in your space, right? Yep. Yep. You can, you can get lucky every now and then and get something on one of the listing services. Like when you're, when you're, when the economy is in a dip, clearly there's a lot more deals out there. Sure. But regardless, um, my, I, my whole broker's business was based on that philosophy that, you know, I'm going to train you. We're not going to deal with the owner occupants. We're going to deal with the, with, with the uh, investors and we're going to help investors build a solid portfolio, give them a solid foundation upon which they can launch their own businesses and pursue their own dreams and you the agent are going to get paid handsomely for that and by the way i always told my agents i said you know you either need to be investing yourself now or you need to be investing yourself within the within the first year as a result of what i'm going to teach you and what you're learning from working with these investors and we focused by the way like we really didn't use we really didn't service a lot of the um the people that i mean for lack of better terms are just broke you know we always focused on an engineer owning his or her own HVAC business or the, the pilots, air, air, pilots do great at this, you know, cargo pilots, airline pilots, military pilots, um, you know, uh, firemen, policemen do great at this. Teachers do great at this. Um, again, chiropractors, dentists, the professional groups, people who are professionals in their fields and or are business owners. That's really the, our ideal client uh, because they, they have the entrepreneurial dream. They want to succeed. Um, they understand the philosophies that that we teach that you know, no money down is um, means a lot of things. And in the beginning, you might do uh, a you know a a wraparound mortgage, offer somebody a wrap mortgage to buy their property, or you might do um, you know owner financing. 
um, and, and other, other, but later on, there's other techniques that make more sense. And these folks generally get that and they make better long-term clients. They make better investors. And quite frankly, I've, I've been invited to their children's weddings. I've had a client take me to Vail, Colorado, skiing for a week, totally paid for because I helped them make $290,000 on a, on a flipping a 15 unit building. I mean, there's all kinds of wonderful things that happen when we all get along. I mean, you and I, we all have that, that common thread and you could get us together for a week on the slopes and we'll have a jolly old time, probably walk away with a deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the nature of it, right? So listen, let, let, let's go to the other side for a second, right? Because obviously in any business, no matter what, you and I haven't talked about this, but I'm sure, uh, I, I don't know a deal maker who hasn't done a few bad deals, you know, amongst all the good ones, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and also what you've seen with other people. So talk to me a little bit about where things went wrong and the mistakes you and others, you know, sometimes make, uh, you know, and, and, and why certain of the deals that you didn't do, which I know is a small percentage of all the ones you did successfully, uh, but, you know, why they didn't work out. Yeah. Well, I'll give you, there was a, really was a period of time where I had, uh, I'd retired from the corporate world. This was going back now 17 years. Um, I retired from the corporate world. In the first year, I felt kind of guilty. Like I'm on my deck in the morning and eating, you know, drinking my coffee, reading the paper, and all my neighbors are going off to work. <laughs> and I struggled with that. I mean, for a year, Corey, I felt I actually worked harder that next year. Well, the year after that, I finally realized, well, I actually, I actually earned the right to do this, and I got comfortable. I gave myself permission to be okay, but also I got a little too cocky. And here's what started happening: I started doing way too many deals at the same time. Um, at one point, I, thought I was doing like 17, act, my own personal transactions, 17 at the same time. With my clients, I was always doing between 20 and 22. But, you know, at that point, I'm really acting as a broker. I'm not doing everything else. But, but back to my own properties, one of the worst things ever happened to me, I got in such a hurry, I didn't even go buy this property to do a, a final walkthrough or just check it out the day of the day before the closing. So after the closing, you know, I got the keys and went to meet the contractor out there and across my yard and two adjoining yards was one of the largest trees I've ever seen in my life that fell down like within the last couple of days. I had no idea. It, I had nobody told me. I had no idea to find way to find out. And I had to, to get that thing removed, repaired three yards, replaced three fences and swing sets and dog houses and all kinds of stuff. And it was, I owned it because as soon as you sign on that dotted line, you, you own the property. You can't go back and say, hey, that tree was already there. Tough luck, Charlie. You know, so that was, um, that was a real big lesson. And, and it really got hammered home when one of my clients, unfortunately, did the same thing. Except when he went to his property, there was no property there. And he's like, what the heck happened? It's like they, there was a yard there with freshly planted grass seeds. And... You know, one of the neighbors saw him sitting there, and he said, "Well, that house burned down. That he 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 was a proud owner of a five thousand dollar lot." Wow. Yep, huge. So so from for now, and I tell people, no matter what, man, take the time. I know we I know we're busy. People that buy these deals sight unseen, you're really taking a chance. I mean, you might if you got somebody there that can do the drive by for you, that's great. But you're relying on somebody else to be your eyes. And I, you know, I, I, I do that too. And that when I'm out of state, but, but, um, but the, for the, the main part is make sure you never let that happen. Um, another thing I did, I'll just tell you this briefly is um, I, I should have followed my intuition. This was a, this was a bigger apartment complex I was buying. 
and we get to the closing and there's still some outstanding lienable items like water bills, things like that. So we delayed at that time. We come back a few weeks later, the owner swears. She said, no, I got it taken care of it. Now the closing was after 5 p.m. And I, I sensed trouble, I said, wait a second, there's no way to verify this because all the offices are closed. Well, the title officer doing the closings insisted on closing. She said, no, don't worry, we're gonna close this. If there's any problem, you know, we'll be able to take care of it. And I said, I don't think this is a good idea. Well, even the lender said, no, let's go ahead and close. Everybody was tired of delaying and, and all that. So lo and behold, six months later, all these outstanding bills started coming in. And of course, everybody was washing their hands of the deal. I, it took me another six months fighting the title company uh, to pay for those. Wow. Um, huge, huge problem. We're, we're not talking a few dollars here. This was a big deal. Um, and they're lienable, which means, you know, it goes against the property. And I'm the proud owner of that property. So the thing is, I should have I should have put my foot down and said, no, I'm the one, I'm the person with the gold, I make the purchase, and I'm going to call the shots here, we're not going to close. And I, I kind of let myself, I was too nice, I guess is what I'm getting to. Right, right. So I, I either you don't close those scenarios or potentially you escrow a chunk of money uh, until, yep. until you get proof of, uh, you know, of, uh, of the liens being paid off. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So any other, uh, you know, what, what is some of the other advice that you may have for people who are looking to get uh, more into real estate, uh, whether they're business owners or whether they're people maybe who are thinking of becoming, you know, more uh, consistent or professional investors? Yeah. Well, all you, man, boy, the, the main thing is just get the education. You know, I constantly learn, you know, I, I, I've written now seven books. I've got five training programs, two under, two under construction. I do three day events. And I also go to them. I go to, I'm part of uh, three different mastermind groups. Um, I'm constantly learning and learning and training myself. Um, and it's, I, I love to learn for one thing, but it gives me a really, a real competitive advantage. And, uh, and I want to kind of uh, point this out is what it does is like things like this. We talk about creative finance. A lot of people are thinking duplexes, triplexes, things like that. But I, I bought big buildings. One example is a 78-unit apartment complex we bought one time. Uh, we found a bank that was actually founded by real estate investors. So they were creative. So what they did was this building was poorly managed, had a high vacancy rate, wasn't too bad physically speaking, but, but needed some new boilers and some, you know, maybe $200,000 worth of stuff. So what we did is we structured the deal where the bank did two appraisals, um, as-is appraisal and an after-repair value, ARV appraisal. And what they did is they gave me the deal where I got the money for the initial purchase, and then they gave me like a construction loan draw to do all of the big capital improvements. New boulders, park a lot, the whole nine yards. So at the end of the day, I ended up getting a, a – now I had to – by the way, I needed about 40000 cash just for – you know, various closing costs and things like things that the bank said, you know, you got to, you got to bring something to the table. I ended up going to one of my investors and said, look, you know, I know you got some money you're looking to invest. They were very conservative. And I said, if you want to, let's do a, a $40,000 loan for my closing cost here and I'll pay you 10% interest um, in a six month period. So I paid them back that 40 grand plus, plus 10% in six, which was a good deal for them. It's 20% annualized. Sure. At the end of the day, I got a building for about uh, what was a 1.1 million um, that the bank financed 900,000 initially to purchase another 200 for the capital improvements. But the building itself, when I was done, because I raised all the rents with the improvements, 
was worth about $2.3 million. So literally by being created, what I did is I looked at the deal. I knew where the owner was. The owner was just, what happened is his parents had given him money to go make his way in life. They were, they were in the oil business and he was pretty, pretty wealthy. If I, you know, if I mentioned a name, you, you would probably know the family name. In any case, he had no business being in real estate. It just money, his parents gave money. So it was being squandered. They were bleeding this thing dry. And I knew that he had to sell. Um, so I knew I could be creative. I also knew that the thing had management problems and physical problems. So I structured it so that, um, you know, I was protecting myself. The bank was protected. And this guy got his money out. He got basically got his money back and broke even when he walked away from there. Uh, but that's all he wanted. So the name of the game is look at the deal, read the financial statements, re listen to the story. The financial statements always tell you the story. Listen to what the owner's saying and what they're not saying. Okay. What questions are they not asking? Not just what are they asking? And then piece it all together. Take your time, go home, write things out, draw things out. Um, and then get advice from a, from a, from a trusted mentor, um, somebody who's also creative. And I promise you, you'll have no problem finding deals that might not look like a deal superficially because everybody looks at it two-dimensionally. But if you just read the story, often the answer to whatever it is you're trying to do will come out of your analysis. The, the, the facts will present the solution to you. That's really the main thing I wanted to say there is always get the story. The facts will present the solution to you. you know? I, I, I love that. I love that. It's great advice. Uh, I, I want to take us just uh, in one more question before. Well, we'll I'll, I'll actually have a couple of questions, but uh, one more question before I, uh, I give you an opportunity to tell people where they can reach you um, and take us a little different direction. I, I, it's on my mind because I'm about actually to do a solo cast on this topic. Uh, you know, I've been seeing some um, articles about how. Uh, you know, a uh, personal credit card debt is going uh, like a, a number of different things that some people indicate might be leading towards a recession at some point. And I, I'm a big believer in that you cannot, if you try to time the market, whether it's the stock market or the economy or whatever, you know, so I'm not, and also I don't want to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I don't, I'm not one of these people who wants to be woe is me because, um, you know, sometimes it creates it. So I don't think, I don't think we're hitting a recession, you know, uh, this year and come soon. But what we know is everything runs in cycles. We've been on a, on a 10 year up cycle. And at some point, whether it's a year from now, five years from now or whatever, you know, things are going to go down again, right? That's just the way yep. things go. Um, and, you know, uh, we also know that, uh, that, uh, you know, we have this uh, phrase that the most money is made in, 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 in recessions, right? You know, in the downtimes. And, and, and I find yeah. that to be true. And that's true because it thins the herd on the business side, right? Competition goes down and those that survive end up, you know, with more clients. But the other big reason is deals, right? People do deals in down markets. And you alluded to it earlier uh, in terms of real estate. So uh, I guess what I, what I want your input on is, uh, you know, there are people who, listen, people who are super wealthy always have enough powder, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, w w when the economy goes down. But there, I think there are people who, uh, that I, some of my clients I've started talking to, who are sort of deciding, or some of them have even said, hey, I'm going to hold my capital for now because I want to wait to the next downturn and know I can take advantage of a lot of deals. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on that balance between taking uh, uh, opportunities now when the economy is good, you know, and sort of, you know, looking to wait until uh, maybe there are better opportunities when the economy is down. Yeah, no, waiting, waiting is not a good move. <laughs> There's a famous saying in one of my mastermind groups, we say, 
when people say I'll wait and buy, our answer is no, buy and wait, you know? Right. Buy, always be in the game of investing, guys. Whoever, everybody listening here, you know, the economy is either always going up or going down. There's no stagnant kind. It's not sitting still. It's not at the bottom. It's not at the top. It's going one direction or another. Right now, it's still screaming along. However, there's a lot of indicators that tell us the next dip has already begun. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm a very positive person, but I'm also a pragmatist. And so I'm prepared in any economy. And that's why I want to tell people is, you know, you can always find deals. Just be in the game. Always be in the game swinging the bat. Always have your, your assets deployed. Don't ever leave your money sitting there. That, that's one of the worst things you can do. So always don't wait and buy. Always buy and wait, you know. Total, totally makes sense. And listen, they've done studies in the stock market. I don't know, there may be similar ones in real estate, but they've done studies in the stock market. And the biggest way people get lower returns is that they is that they pull out of the market because they think things are going to go bad. And that yep. you know, and they and nobody can time the market. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, occasionally you get some prognosticator who happens to be right that time. But you know, what about the other times? So you know, and they prove that you know that the best thing is to stay in the stock market if you're invested there. You know the yep. portfolio, and and I think it's you know it's it's similar in real estate. And yes, you know maybe you got to hold it a little longer if you had a downside, but you know so that's great. So Gary, listen, I, I you've given so much value to our listeners. It's it really uh, you know, uh, and and I know you give a lot of value in in, in the courses that you run, the seminars, and the books, etc. So uh, I'm sure people are going to want to find out more. Uh, what's the best way for them to find out more about what you're up to, and and tell us a little bit more about you know the uh, the workshops and seminars that you do. Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. I'm mostly what I do is I just, I, I give a lot away. I'm like, I, I teach classes three to five days a week for free. Just, just to, it's not really community service, but it's my way of um, staying in the marketplace. Plus I want to show, I, I would rather develop uh, trust first. And then when people do business with me, it's a better long-term relationship. So, so there's a, uh, they can text the word prosperity to 72000. So text the word prosperity to 72,000 and they can get all five of my first five books. There's one on flipping, one on buying rentals, one on managing rentals, wholesaling, and being an investor agent. The other, the other two books, uh, one of them's in, in publishing now, the sixth one, my called Massive Passive Cashflow Method. That one, that, that we call that the mothership. That one has to be purchased. The, the, um, the people that work for me, they're like, no, Gary, you're not giving that one away because that's like the mothership. <laughs> but in any case, um, if they want to, you know, we have like a community that's been going on for several years now. So if they go to myinvestmentservices.com, myinvestmentservices.com, click on members area. There's two ways they can, they can join up. Um, there's bronze level, which is the lowest level. It's basically a dollar a day. And you get access to tools and techniques and uh, celebrity interviews, celebrities being you know, investors and things like that. Um, and there's, uh, you know, contracts taking grabs, just, just easy stuff to help them um, get started. And then the, the next level is where most people do is called the server level. That's where you actually get to, to be live with me once a week for an hour online. It's, it's unscripted. You can ask any questions you want. Uh, that also gives them access to the community of all these investor agents all over the US and Canada, plus other investors, that community site, knowing what I know, I'd pay a million bucks for that right there. But that's on there. So they can click on server level, join up, and um, that's that's not easy, that's three bucks a day. And they can have that community 
what they can see properties, they can see other investors, they can see the investor agents train to work with them as well as other lenders and lawyers and things like that. In all, all 48, lower 48 states and three Canadian provinces, um, Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia. Um, but also they, the, the, they can listen to the podcast that's called Real Estate Investing for Professional Men and Women. Real Estate Investing for Professional Men and Women. And they can, that's on you know, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio. And they'll see most people on that in that group are your your folks, the, the folks you're the, the business owners, you know. So there's three things there: the free books, the community site, and then the um, the podcast. That's great, Gary. And, and fueling deals podcast listeners, if you didn't catch that, if you're driving in the car or whatever while listening to this, don't worry about it. We're gonna have all that in the show notes, so you can check the show notes for that text code and and uh, you know and and the other information that Gary just gave in terms of how to reach them. Um, so Gary. Uh, my final question for you, um, and you know, I love, I, I know when we spoke previously, you know, we talked about this whole concept of give first. You just said, you know, there's a lot you do for free. Um, and uh, you know, it, it sort of relates to my last question in a way in that um, one of my highest values is, is authenticity. And I ask every guest, you know, um, for me, what authenticity is, it's not about external ethics or morals or anybody else's view. It's about, you know, living a life and, and doing business in a way that's true to who you are, to, to your inner truth. And I, I happen to believe that our, that, that if you truly get to your inner truth, it's all, it's all good for not only you, but for other people. I think there's a, I think there is a universal truth that we tap into. Um, but I, I'd love to hear for you what authenticity means and how you uh, apply it to your business and life and the way you train people. Yeah, really, for me, it's more of a, um, like when I'm with somebody in person, and maybe it just comes with age, I, I don't know, but I, I get a sense for a person if they're being authentic and genuine. So it's, it's, a lot of it has to do with, did they, did they actually do what they're talking about? Um, so like me personally, I mean, I, I mean people know, Right now, I, I've I've devoted my life to teaching others. I'm at that point in my life where um, I've built, you know, now seven businesses. Um, I've had more than a dozen LLCs as far as ownership goes. I own my properties in different LLCs, um, and I look for people that when you look at them and you hear their words, you're seeing that that alignment between you know maybe call it mind, body, spirit. You, there really are an alignment. And those are the folks I want to work with. And they're not pretentious. They're generally not driving around in Rolls Royces and Lamborghinis and, and flashing gold and diamonds everywhere. There are people out there to do that. I get that. But the folks that, that tend to resonate with me are like, uh, you know, um, you know, the Waltons, um, you know, of, of Warren Buffett, you know, Bill Gates. They're just regular folks, you know. Um, and and I, I know people who are worth billions and yet if you if you didn't know who they were you would never know that they were worth billions because you're just like did you know the, the the most common car driven by millionaires is a toyota camry yep. yep yeah it's not a mercedes it's not a cadillac it's a toyota camry you know so and what that tells me is they're responsible see god gives us all these wonderful resources relationships bodies minds spirits and and fuel and food and the outdoors and course money and the people that are the best custodians with whatever God gave them, in this case, money, generally have a whole lot more than those that don't, <laughs> you know, it's because of authentic and genuine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary, listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. I, hey, Corey, this was awesome. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm so glad to, 
our, our tribes are aligned with each other because I, I, you know, hopefully my passion shows I kind of was getting into it today a little bit. Hopefully it didn't sound like I was too um, overzealous. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I love I love uh, people who are passionate w- about what they do and you clearly are. And that's and listen, I think, uh, you know, my audience is a bunch of passionate people because it, my audience is entrepreneurs and dealmakers and people who are looking to build something and grow and make a difference. And and, I, you know, I think they resonate. I know they resonate with that kind of passion. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity. I'll, I'll be glad if you guys ever want to have me on again, talk about any particular subject, maybe get real nitty gritty on creative purchasing techniques. Um, just let me know. I'll be glad to do it. You know, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely take you up on that. And, and thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.